My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist. If you're new with us, we are, uh, we're, we're pumped that you're here with us uh, today. Um, and we are, we're wrapping up our, our last week in the series called Love Where You Live. Uh, next week, we will be jumping into a brand new series called The Seven Churches of Revelation. And so uh, if, if you're like a Revelation nerd, uh, you're going to be bored by this one because I'm not going to tell you uh, what I think about end times, as a matter of fact. So, like, how do you do that? Well, in Revelation, there's actually seven churches specifically that the Apostle John is talking about and all the issues with all these different churches, and it serves as a warning sign to us. And so that's what we're going to be walking through actually for the next eight weeks. Um, and if you're confused, like there's seven churches, we're doing that in eight weeks. Yep, we are. So um, we'll figure out how to do it. Um, but before I, uh, I really get pushing in too much further, I just want to give you guys an update for, for those of you who, uh, who know or have heard or anything like that uh, on my, uh, my son Noah. He's six years old. And for those of you who are new, uh, my son Noah about... I don't know, about a year ago now or so, we got news that he, uh, he had a spot on his brain after he went for an MRI, and we've been just like kind of in limbo waiting, and so we've waited six months, and uh, actually this Wednesday, he's got a big MRI, um, and we got some appointments afterwards and that sort of thing. So um, if you wouldn't mind praying for us and Noah and all of that stuff that we got going on on Wednesday, we'll be up in Stanford, and so uh, that would be very, very beneficial to us. Um, but, uh, but that being said, I just want to give you guys an update on that. We're going to be jumping around a little bit in Scripture today, but we're ultimately going to land in John chapter 10. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, whether physical or digital, you got on your phone, go ahead and open up to, uh, to John chapter 10. And as you're doing that, as long as I'm, uh, I'm talking about my kids, uh, one of the cool things about being a parent is as a parent, and I know a lot of you in here are parents, uh, as those those kids come out, um, maybe a little bit afterwards they come out, um, you get to notice more and more about just the differences that all of your kids have, right? Like there's no kid that is exactly the same as the next, the next, the next. And, um, you know, so for us, we've got our, our oldest kid, uh, our type A kid as he walks in right now. Hello, sit down. Um, uh, you're late. Um, and uh, anyway, as I talk about him being type A, um, Anyway, responsible, you know, all those things, classic oldest child. we got our second one who's a little bit more uh, emotively driven, and so uh, he loves people well. He feels uh, for people. Empathy is his strength, and so on and so forth. But uh, our middle son is actually the one I want to uh, talk about today. Our middle son, his name is Owen, um, and Owen just turned 11 years old about a week, a week and some change um, ago. And uh, Owen, man, I'll tell you what, when you're, when you're talking about Talking about kids and being able to love people well, Owen is just like, he is right up there. And he just came out of the womb being that way. Um, and uh, super chill kid, relaxed kid, all of that stuff. But uh, about a year ago, uh, we went to, I went to speak at a junior high camp, right? And so there's tons of like 7th and 8th graders everywhere. And Owen at this point was only 9 um, and, uh, and so we do like the camp speaker thing. We get there and, you know, we say hi to the campers and counselors and youth pastors. We eat as a family. And then Sarah and I were just like, all right, kids, go, like, go do whatever you want. You guys can go be uh, campers now at this point. And um, so 
most of our kids came back fairly regularly, checked in with us, wanted to know where mom and dad were and that sort of thing. Owen, man, I think I saw that guy like five times that whole week, and it was mostly just like him coming back to sleep uh, where our cabin was, and he was gone the next day. And he'd show up and have like dirt smeared on his face and like, have you changed clothes at all this week? He's like, no, it's the best thing at right. You know, like classic nine-year-old, nine-year-old kid. Um, but one of the things that's really cool about Owen is, man, when that kid, when he walks up or when he walks into the room, like he just loves people really well and talks to these people. They're, they're just like, they're, they're an old friend, right? Like, like, hey, how are your kids? I don't, he probably doesn't ask how people's kids are, but he like, just walks up to people and, and he, he, he makes them feel welcome. He makes them feel loved, all of these different things. And so like even at camp, he's going there and there's this big age gap of, you know, these are mostly seventh and eighth graders. Owen's like just got out of fourth grade at this point. And so there's kids like twice his size and he's getting in for rec and like wrestling around with kids and like leading cheers and do it. Like he just, he just peoples so incredibly, uh, incredibly well. It's just who he is. Is. And so when we're talking about this idea of how to, how to love people well, I can look to, to so many of my kids, you know, I'm sure many of your kids and that sort of thing, um, some of whom still have like this childlike innocence that will largely just walk up, walk up to anyone and start being their friend. And sometimes, hear me, sometimes all, that's all it takes to be able to love, to love people well. And so loving God and loving people and serving the world as you came in, hopefully you saw up in our, uh, our lobby, like that's, that's our mission statement. That's what we consistently go back to is everything that we are doing, pointing people to loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And if it's not, then we're off mission, right? We want to love people really, really, really well. Um, and that's just like the starting point for what we do. You know, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but, but we're not in the business of church to shape morality. And if you came here and you're like, yeah, I want to fix society, that's not why we exist as a church. Maybe it's a byproduct of why we exist as a church, but it's not why we exist as a church. Or we're not in the business of church specifically for social justice. Like, I want to fix all of the wrongs in the world. It's not why we do church. It's a byproduct, again, of, of, of why we do church or how we do church, but, but that's not why we do it. And we're definitely not in the, church, the, the business of church for, like, egotistical reasons, to pat ourselves on the back, talk about how great we are building our own little kingdoms or anything like that. We are in the business of church because we want to love God to the best of our ability. That's our goal. That's our, that's our hope is just to love God to the best of our ability. And I know there's probably people in here who have their own preconceived notions about what church is and that sort of thing. Um, and some of those are merited. But the reality is, is that at the end of the day, we simply want to point people to loving God better. We're in the business of doing, doing church because we want to love God and want other people to experience his love as well. And so if you're brand new this morning, we'll be very, very clear with you what our goal is for you. It, it's not simply to entertain you and the band did a great job and hopefully I don't mess up and like trip over my words or anything like that, but I probably will. And as great as Jeff's announcements are and all that stuff, like our goal isn't to just simply entertain you and hope that you laugh this morning. Our goal is largely to bring you from being a first-time guest all the way into becoming a disciple of Christ. And if you already are a disciple of Christ, our hope would be is that you deepen and strengthen that relationship with Jesus so that you can create more disciples, right? Disciples make disciples. So, so that's, our, 
That's our goal, and that's our intention, uh, to love God, to love people, and to serve the world. And so Jesus actually tells us that in, in Mark chapter 12. It's verses 28 to 33. It'll be up on the screen. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard him debating, or heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus says, he says The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Right? And we can, we can camp on these verses for the entirety of our morning. We could camp on these verses for the next year and never get to the depth of what it means to love God to the best of our ability. To love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart. What does it mean to love him with our soul? What does it mean to love him with our mind and our Like what does it, we could just sit and camp on these things because largely loving God should affect every single fiber of our being. Everything that we do, everything that we believe, like loving God should affect every single fiber of that. It should consume us on a regular basis. When we wake up, we should be asking ourselves, how is it that we are able to love God better today? And not just after you've had your coffee, because let's be real, it's a lot easier to love people after you've had your coffee. Right, but the story, the story right here, it doesn't stop right there. Actually, Jesus continues, and it's kind of a little bit of a bonus answer. Because if you, were, if you were Jewish, you would have expected him to stop there, to love your God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and that would have been a sufficient answer for the, the, most important, the most important commandment. But he doesn't stop there. He continues in 31. He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So it's interesting here, right? At the very end, he says, these things are more important than all burnt, burnt offerings and sacrifice and all that stuff. If you look back, and Jesus is talking to a Jewish guy here, if you look back into the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus and Deuteronomy, if you were to look at those two books of the Bible, you would recognize that there is a massive law that Jewish, like Israelites, they were supposed to follow. And so because of that, like in that law, there's tons of sacrifices and burnt offerings, and you have to do this to be clean, you have to do that to be clean, like all of these different things. And if you did those things, then you were considered more holy. You were considered to be clean and a righteous person once again. So all of these rules, all of these traditions, all of these different things, you had to do these things. And so this guy is actually saying, you know what, Jesus, you're right. If, if you love God and you love people to the best of your ability, then those things are far more more important than any of the traditions that we have set forth. The reality is, even though we could spend an eternity loving God, and we get to, by the way, for those of us who have acknowledged Jesus as Lord, loving God has all of these byproducts that come with it, even when we're not expecting it. The truth is, though, is that loving God demands us to love people. Loving God demands us to love people. When you decide to love God, you have no option but to love people. Because you begin to recognize who he is. You begin to recognize what it is that, that he's done for you. And as you kind of dig into his word and you begin to understand what not only he is for us, he wants everyone to know him in a real and intimate way. And as you love Jesus, you want to do what it is he commands of us. 
And not just what he commands of us, because he tells us there what it is that we're expected to do. We're supposed to love God, we're supposed to love people. But beyond that, as you get further and further into like this idea of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, you recognize the example that he set forth. We largely talked about this a couple weeks ago. Well, what example did Jesus set forth? The example he set forth was, is, is we, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Genesis 3 talks about that. Romans talks about that. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, it's the fall of man. Sin enters into the world. And then Jesus comes in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he comes and he teaches and he has these miracles and all this stuff. And he says, hey, this isn't why I've come. He talks about it in the beginning of Mark. He said, I haven't come just to teach. I haven't come just to, or rather, he says, I haven't come just to heal people. He talks about how he's come to teach and he's come to save the entire world. So what is it that Jesus did for us? Well, Jesus ends up going to the cross for us, right? In all of the Gospels, we see this narrative of him going to the cross, dying for our sake, taking on the guilt of our sins onto himself. And then as he dies, he gets buried into a tomb, and three days later, he rises again, he conquers death, and eventually ascends back up to the right hand of the Father. That's what Jesus has done for us, right? And so we tend to think about, like, well, Jesus commanded us to do it. We should probably do it. How about we just take a second and realize that Jesus actually put forth an example to us. Jesus had no reason to love us. No reason to love us this way. He was, he was sitting pretty at the right hand of the Father already. He didn't have to come down. He didn't have to come down and stretch himself into skin. But what he ends up doing is he's like, you know what? I don't, I don't see equality with the Father. Equality with God is something to be grasped. But rather, I'm going to humbly submit myself. I'm going to empty myself of the privileges of deity, empty myself of the privileges of being God. And so because of the fact that I'm going to do that, I'm now going to come to earth. I'm going to be 100% man. I'm going to be 100% God. And I'm going to die a bloody death on a cross. Why? Because he loves us. That's why Jesus does it in the first place. So when you decide to love God, you have no option but to love people. Because of the fact that you begin to recognize who he is. So then the question becomes, well, what's the nature of love? What does it mean to love other people, right? The world has all the different types of definition of love and how is it that we do it and all of that stuff. So what's the nature of love? Part of it is, is simply being obedient to what, to what God told us to do. But really loving God is no less than being completely and totally transformed by him because of who he is and what he has done. This idea of treasuring him, admiring him, delighting in him, being satisfied in him, being the, the, the best treasure of all. The nature of love is this. It's actually in Philippians 3.8. It says, I count everything as loss. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything. Okay, good. We need to work on that a little bit. But everything, everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Let me say it again. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians 3.8. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say, it doesn't say well, I, 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 count, I count everything except my family as lost because at the end of the day, I'm going to love my family more than I love God. Or it doesn't say, I'm going to count like all, everything but my security 
to love God because I'm, I'm good until it starts infringing on how secure I am as an individual. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, man, I love God with, I count everything as loss except my financial situation because if I don't have money coming in regularly, then there's no way that I can continue loving God with my entire heart. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the fact that I know Jesus Christ as my Lord. So because I know, because I know Jesus, because I love him, him, and because of the fact I love God, I count everything as loss in order to do what it is that he asks me to do. And what does he ask us to do? Love God and love people. Everything else should be counted as loss. But here's a problem that we have in the Western church is that oftentimes we feel like this idea of loving God is more of like a guilt-ridden sort of loving God type of thing. Like we shouldn't love other people because we've been guilted into doing so by Jesus. That shouldn't be the case. We need to recognize that our love actually comes from the creator of love. Our love for other people should pour out of us because of our recognition of God loving us first and God loving us best. That's where love should come from. Like love isn't something that naturally comes from within us. Right? It's not something that, that easily flows out, of, flows out of most of us. We're usually most concerned with ourselves. Right? We are selfish people. Scripture tells us that. Right? We talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about this whole idea of like self-care and how important self-care is. And I'm not saying go take a nap. I'll take one today. Okay? But that being said is that, that we need to be okay sacrificing of ourselves for the sake of other people. And that's how, you love, that's how you love people best. Our love for other people should pour out of us because of our recognition of the fact that God loved us first. But again, it's not something that naturally comes from within us. Ask any parent, right? And we're having, I don't know if you guys knew this, but at least at first service, we're having a small baby boom here once again in, in Hanford. I don't know, at our church. Yeah, you can clap for that, but I think y'all are just bored or something like that. I don't know. But we got a whole bunch of pregnant mamas right now, um, and that nursery is about to get filled up once, uh, once again. But, man, when those babies come out, they are selfish. They don't care about you, right? They care about a food supply, and they care about making sure that someone changes them on a regular basis. They don't even care if you sleep or not, right? I don't know about you, but I've never had a baby come out and be like, I got a dad. I'll load the dishwasher, right? Nor would I let them because they'd do it wrong anyway. But... That being said, like we don't come out of the womb knowing how to love. We don't know how to come out of the womb knowing how to love, like the type of love that is instilled in us by our creator and comes alive in us as we make him the savior of our lives. Like that is a very radical type of love. That is a different type of love. It's supernatural. It's kind of the, the kind of love that God calls us to, the love that loves your neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That has to come from him. We cannot love like that without first loving God. And so often we're like, you know what? I love God a ton. I love God so much. Man, I went to church twice today, as a matter of fact. I'm in four small groups. I've read through the Bible 14 times this year, like all the different things, right? I pray without ceasing regularly, just like Paul told me to do. Like all of these different things. And we think to ourselves, man, I love God so much. But then when it comes to loving other people, we are failures at it on a regular basis. And to be clear, if you're looking for perfection, you're never going to find it. 
Because there's no possible way for you to be perfect in this. There's no possible way for you to be perfect in loving God. There's no way for you to be perfect in loving other people. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for it. Why? Because Jesus commanded us to and because he showed us how to do it. Want to know how I know that you guys uh, consistently love yourself better than you love other people, even though Jesus said, hey, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? I mean, going back to the self-care thing, Many of you over the course of the last three, four, five months, man, you guys have all taken, taken a vacation probably, maybe just like getting to the coast for a night or something like that. Take, maybe you did a, a great week-long vacation. Me and my family, we went, we went up to a, a lake for, for it was supposed to be a week, and then I got sick, and it got knocked down to four days, right? But like we did like these vacations, and all of us have taken vacations. When's the last time you were like, you know what? I re- we have the money to go on vacation, but instead, I'm actually going to get, gonna, gonna cut a check to my neighbor so he can go on vacation instead, right? And I'm not saying that you have to do that. I'm not saying that's the best way to love your neighbor. Maybe the best way to love your neighbor is to say, hey, get out of bed and go to work. I don't know, okay? But if you are interested in sending someone on vacation, uh, come find me afterwards. I'll give you my email address. We'll get it all. I'll let you know my availability. Um, But we cannot love other people like that without loving God first. It is impossible to do. And so in Luke chapter 10, there's actually a story. We call the story the Good Samaritan. It shows us what a true neighbor, like a true neighbor has really nothing to do with how close you are to that neighbor, physically speaking. My neighbor is anyone who crosses my path in life. And so when it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself, it's talking about, hey, you need to love anybody who crosses your path. So again, this story is called The Good Samaritan. Pretty popular story. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard of this story. But this is one of those stories that also surpasses church culture. It's made its way into pop culture. Right? I was actually called a Good Samaritan once. I'm going to tell you about it, and a good Samaritan probably wouldn't, but I'm going to, okay? And so I was in college. I just got, uh, I took Sarah on a date, and I was driving home. I was hopping on the freeway, and as I was hopping on the freeway, there's this guy sitting on the, the on-ramp, okay? And it's just himself, and it's his car. It's clearly broken down, hood is up, all that stuff. And this is before everybody and their mother had cell phones, right? And I was like, well, I have a cell phone. So I stopped. Hey, do you need anything? He's like, yeah, can I borrow your cell phone? I'm like, yeah, man, sure, no problem. So he, he gets on the phone, calls whoever he needs to call, and he's like, hey, so-and-so, yeah, this good Samaritan stopped. They let me use his phone, right, all that stuff. I'm feeling great about myself. I'm like, I'm going to tell so many people about this this week, right? Um, and so he hangs up. He ends the conversation and hands my phone back. He's like, hey, thanks so much. I'm like, you need anything else? He's like, nope, I don't need anything else. I'm like, all right, cool. So I hop in my car. I'm like three, four minutes down the road, and all of a sudden my phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize. I'm like, I bet this is the people that that guy tried to call, right? And what would a good Samaritan do? He'd pick up the phone and figure it out. What did I do? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I've done my good deed for the day, right? So I ignored the call once, and then they called right back after that. I'm like, don't they get it? I had enough capacity to love people well for about two minutes. I did my good deed. Like, they called back again. I'm like, nope, ignore the phone call. And in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I did, like, I, I loved that person decently okay like I did a a good job like I at least like let him borrow my phone I'm sure they will find and my guess is they were just looking for directions to where the guy was probably would have been real easy for me to say yeah he's uh he's on the on-ramp on on 9th and 41 or 9th and 99 or whatever it was probably would have been really really simple but what did I do I thought to myself you know what I've done enough I've done my good deed I don't need to do 
anymore. So as a disciple, though, everyone that I meet should see the love of Christ in me, including that person who called me after I had already done the good deed. After I was, I was like, you know what, I'm good. So that God can be glorified through me. John 13, it's verses 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so this is exemplified in John chapter, chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. This is what it says, story of the Good Samaritan. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down. Hear that? A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, went around him. So too, a Levite, this is verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. If you were Jewish, you would recognize a Levite as someone of a priestly order. Okay, This is another person who, if anything, these people definitely, a priest should have stopped and a Levite should have stopped as well. But he passes by on the other side. Then verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is the extent that I went to of uh, helping that guy on the side of the road. I take pity on you. Here's my phone. He took pity on him. 34, he went to, to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man uh, on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Samaritans at the time, especially as Jesus is talking to a bunch of Pharisees at this point, Samaritans were, man, they were not liked by people, people who were Jewish. They didn't like him at all. They were considered impure, right? They weren't completely Jewish. These were people who had mixed Jewish blood with other blood, and they lived in this region called Samaria, which is why they are Samaritans, right? So a Samaritan isn't simply like a person who is good or anything like that. This is simply a Samaritan who was good, which is the title of the story, Good Samaritan. And so the priest and the Levite, they both passed by. And these guys, these are men who should have probably have said, like, these were men that, that would actually have said that they kept all of the commandments, including loving your neighbor. When it came to the moment of their fellow man being in need, when no one can see them doing a good deed, then their love failed. It was a show. Well, I'll do good deeds when I'm, when, when I'm in vision of everybody else. True love isn't performing good deeds in order to keep a good conscience, right? The Samaritan was the true neighbor because he shows mercy to this guy and compassion, even though he had nothing to gain from it. As a Samaritan, uh, these people despised by the Jews, man, he, he, he could have felt that he didn't have any obligation at all to stop and help. Of any of these three people, the Samaritan had the, the, the least the least uh, like liability to, to stop there and help him. You actually could say that he, he probably couldn't have been blamed if he just kept on walking as the Levite and the priest did. But he stops and he did exceed expectations to help. This in itself is true selflessness and true love. 
He did that out of selflessness. And so a good Samaritan has become this phrase for someone who goes above and beyond to help someone in their time of need. So am I going back to the cell phone story? I did just enough for that one person to assume I was a good person. And then when I was by myself all alone and somebody else calls, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go the extra mile. I'm not going to bandage those wounds. I'm not going to put them on my donkey and bring them to the innkeeper. I'm not going to pay extra money for that guy because I had done enough in my mind. I had already stopped and I had already helped that person. Someone's time of need, maybe when they experience or need to experience maybe some patience, some compassion, some gentleness, rather than stopping and being maybe irritable or rude or having harsh words for that person. Right? When Jesus, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he's actually moved to compassion for them. Matthew 9:36 talks about that. And so I think it forces us to beg the question is, am I compassionate for my fellow man? Do I love my fellow man or do I let their kind of their quirks, their habits, their weaknesses, their sin become a point of contention for me, an issue for me that gets in the way of me actually loving them, loving them well? Do I harden my heart to others and in my pride and in my kind of my high-mindedness think that I am better than them or I am above that Situations? Do I write them off or have demands on them that they should be a certain way in order for me to love them? Or do I esteem them better than myself and become a servant to everybody? Because that's where we should land. And that largely means that we have to, like, like, we have work to do for those who are around us every single day. We have to love people when they are kind and we get along with them, right? And that's the easy one. That's when we're like, yep, no problem. I'm going to love people well because those people are easy to love well. I want to go serve people inside my church because, for the most part, they are easy to love well. I can do that. But then it starts getting a little bit more difficult when we get this command from Jesus. Hey, you need to love everyone. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Every, everyone you come across. That means we have to love people when they are nasty and unlovable. And that gets in the way. We get our pride gets in the way sometimes. I don't want to deal with them. Got to take care of myself first. Or we have to love people when they disagree with us fundamentally on political issues. Guess what? Election season's coming up again. It's like it happens every four years or so. You got to love people when they're nasty and unlovable. We have to love people when they disagree with us fundamentally on, 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 on what God it is that they are supposed to worship. And we get stuck here a lot of times. We have to love people when they're in the midst of the sinful lifestyle that the Bible speaks out against. We have to love people well, even when we simply don't feel like loving them. It is our responsibility to love people well. And I get it. It's exhausting. And it is very, very difficult. But then we have to come to the conclusion that it's not about us. It isn't about our feelings or our preferences regarding the way things should go. It's about us working in such a way that we are going to honor God every single day of our lives. That's when we talk about the ABCs. We pray them at the end of every service. Admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and choose to follow him every single day. That's the choose piece is that we should be choosing to follow him every single day. And it's about getting our hands dirty and doing the hard work of entering into the messiness of, of people's lives and relationships and saying, look, I know where you're at. I just want to love you where you're at, and I actually know a way out. His name is Jesus. Can I introduce you to him? 
Loving our neighbor is second in importance only to loving God because loving people is really just an extension of loving God. And I think that we forget that. We get wrapped up in loving God really, really well as the corporate church. Right? And I've gone to church, I do my small groups, I serve, I'm in Bible, like all those different, all of those different things. But that first command, the greatest command, without also giving us the second greatest command, is impossible because those two are completely and totally entwined. You cannot do one without the other. Why? Because loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. Loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. Matthew 25, 40 says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. It's not an option. This is a command from God. Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. However you loved the least of these, you did for me. And it's not even an option regarding who to love. If you're close with them, if you just met them, if your kid's on their baseball team and they yell too much, like, I don't care who it is. It is our job to love them. And I think the church oftentimes forget that, forgets that. And I think the reason we forget it is we've been taught so often, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, we've been taught so often that, man, religion stands apart because of our convictions, because of what we deem versus right and wrong. And let me be very clear. The Bible is very, very clear about what is right and what is wrong and what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. But the Bible does not say that the church, that religion, that loving Jesus well, that we are going to stand out because of our convictions. John 13, 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are disciples. Not if you have convictions. It's if you love one another. That's what the Bible tells us. That that's how the church makes an impact on our community. That's how we love where we live. Not by yelling our convictions at other people, but by simply loving one another well enough that people say, I want to be a part of that. Right? Pastor Brian, he talked about this last week. That he had, he had a bunch. And can we just give Pastor Brian a round of applause, please? Man, that guy did so good. He's not in here. But that's okay. He'll watch the live stream and know that I said thank you. Right? But... But Pastor Brian talked about that last week, that in college he lived in this house with a bunch of other believers, and they were like, hey, we're supposed to talk to our friends about Jesus. What should we do? Should we just invite them to church? And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. They've been invited to church. What I'm going to do, what we're going to do is we're going we're to open up our home to these people. We're going to love these people well, and we're not going to do all the things that kids our age are supposed to be doing, that society's like, well, yeah, they're in college, so they should be doing that. Like invited him over to play Mario Kart and drink milk, I think is what he said. Like that's a weird, weird way to say that. But that's largely what they did. And they showed him, hey, look, we love one another. We love one another, and that's why we're different. We love one another. The reason we love one another is because of the fact that we love Jesus a whole lot. And the reason that we don't stand out because of the fact of our, because of our convictions is because the entire world has convictions. Everybody has convictions. It doesn't matter if you love Jesus or not. Everybody looks at the world and thinks to themselves, this is the way the world should function. No, you shouldn't do that. Yes, you should do this. So if we're relying on our convictions to stand out to a world in desperate need of Jesus, man, we're going to fail 
Because it's not about our convictions, it's largely about, about our love. And so, how, like, how do we do that? Like, how do we consistently grow in such a way that, that we are consistently pointed towards Jesus, we're pointed towards what he did, we're pointed towards his commands, we're pointed toward lo- towards loving our community to the best of our ability? Do I just consistently, like, go out and, like, buy stuff for people? Maybe if that's what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. But one of the things we really, really, really need to do that is incredibly helpful as we learn to love people well is that we will love people well by doing life together, by being in community with other believers who love you well in that community. It's not our convictions. It's that the people are going to recognize that you are my followers, that you're followers of Jesus, not by how well you love other people, but how well you love, other ch- love one another, how you love other believers, how your community interacts with each other, which means that we should, in fact, then be in community. And that's largely what we do here. Man, if you're a, a first-time guest, you're a regular attender, the next step that we would hope that you would take is getting into a small group. Because this up here, where we're operating on Sunday morning, this is surface level. And you'll hear some good things, hopefully. You'll learn a couple things. You'll sing a couple songs. But at the end of the day, your depth, like the, the depth of faith that you have is going to mo- be most impacted by living and being in community with other people and loving them to the best of your ability. And so that's what we've done. It's like I said, our goal today is to bring you from, from a first-time guest to a disciple of Jesus. How, we, how do we do that? Not by listening to me every Sunday. I mean, I hope you do. Okay, but that's not largely how that is done. We do this by being in community with each other. That's our goal. Everyone in here, in Hanford, in Kings County, to be a disciple of Christ. And we do that by being in community with each other. And unfortunately, a lot of Christian discipleship deals with what you need to know, not who you need to be with. I remember when I really started getting serious about my faith. Man, I was in, I was in college, and uh, I, had, I had gone away to school, and then I came back and was living in my hometown with a couple buddies. And man, I was just like demolishing information about Jesus and about God and his character. And I was doing my quiet times and I was praying any book I could get my hands on. But it was when like iPods came onto the scene, right? And I'm dating myself now, but when iPods came onto the scene. And so, man, I was like, you know what the best spot to read is? The best spot to read is to go to put my, I actually couldn't afford an iPod, so I had a fake iPod, um, to put my, my fake iPod headphones in and go sit in Starbucks and read a book read a book about Jesus. And I learned a ton, but then it occurred to me a couple years after that, and I was like, I was surrounded by so many people who needed to hear about who Jesus is, by so many people who were just like desperate and thirsty for God's love. And here I am sitting in my own little cocoon in a chair in the back corner of Starbucks with my, with my headphones in, learning about the creator of the universe, deepening my faith. Well, all of these people need to know who God is. So we get so obsessed with this idea of I need more information. I need to grow in my faith. I need to learn all of the right answers before I talk to somebody about Jesus. That largely, we never talk to anybody about Jesus because it's never enough. Theology is a bottomless pit of information. You're never going to get to the end of knowing who God is, ever. 
And so because of that, we would encourage you, don't just come for information download as you're in the midst of community. Come for the ability to, to be with other believers, to strengthen your faith as you're in community, and not just strengthen your own faith, but the reality is there's a whole bunch of you in here who have been Christians for a really long time, and baby Christians need you. They need you to, to pour into their lives. They don't need more information. They need an example of someone to follow, someone who has done it, done it far before them. And hear me, like we're, 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 we're too often concerned with conversion and information download, and we don't take community and relation, relationship-based discipleship seriously enough. As much as I love gathering as the corporate church, like I love this, there, there is something powerfully unique about an intimate gathering around a living room or a small classroom or a fellowship hall or a dining room table that forces us to think differently than when we're in a big room for worship, right? You come in here and you chat with a couple people and we say, okay, it's time to sing and you sing and then we say sit down and you all sit down at the same time and then you sit here and second service is often very quiet during my message. There's no laughing, there's no amens, we're here, we're going to learn about Jesus and then we're going to leave, right? That's not what happens when you're in community. You get the opportunity to bounce ideas off one another, to talk through what it is you're going through and struggling with and all this stuff. Because God never intended for us to live the Christian life alone. He shows us that by his example, right? God is in community, right? He's in community with the, with the Trinity. Jesus, he called his disciples. The early church met together daily in homes. This isn't some crazy radical idea that we're pitching here about how it is that you should be able to live and strengthen your faith. This is simply about you having the ability to be in community in the same way that early church fathers, Jesus, and God did it before all of us. So God never intended for us to live this alone. God calls us to love, not in like this abstract or superficial way, but in this deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, transformative way, which is difficult and messy. That's why the first couple months when we were here, we decided that we weren't going to, our goal wasn't to grow the biggest church in Kings County. Our goal was to grow the healthiest church and we were gonna be better at small groups than any other church in Kings County. Because I wanna know that if I were to ever leave or Jeff was to ever leave, he's closer to retirement than I am, that other people aren't gonna leave simply because of the upfront personality who's no longer here. Well, I don't like that pastor anymore. No, you're intertwined in relationships, in community, in the body of Christ, the way that God had intended it in the first place. And I get it, it's scary. And so today, like we're taking more small group signups in the back. And like I said, over the course of the next eight weeks, we're gonna be studying the seven churches of Revelation. And we want to give a very, very easy on-ramp for each of you to just tow the water of small groups if you've never done it. And so every single small group for the, the eight weeks that we're going to be running that series after the sermon, you come, you listen to the sermon, you write down some notes, whatever. That Wednesday night, also we have groups on not Wednesday nights. We've got groups that if you've never been in a group before, we're just going to be in tables in here after dinner. And we're going to walk through small group questions with you. And at the end of eight weeks, you're like, you know what, that wasn't worth my time. That's fine. Hopefully you give it another shot. But my guess is the majority of people who have not tried those groups, as soon as you get into a group and start living a life that is like life on life with other people in the midst of community, at that point you'll be like, oh, I get it. My, strength, or my, my faith is now stronger now that I've walked through that. 
last thing, and I'll, I'll end with this, because I got preachy, and I left most of my sermon on my uh, computer. We believe in this idea of community so deeply that everything that we do here revolves in some way around that. We want every single person to be involved in community. And maybe it's more surface level, like some of our outreach events, that like we had our, our ladies uh, uh, Bible journaling class, which I heard was great, wasn't there, not a lady, nor do I draw on my Bible. Um, but that being said, I heard it was great, and there was enough food for you to not be hungry, but not quite enough to feel satisfied, which is most women's events, right? And then, and then Saturday night, there was uh, our senior adult luau, which I heard was great, and I got some great videos of some people who self-identify as senior adults. I would never put that on you, but who have identified as senior adults who were there, who were trying to hula hoop like they were 10 years old, and it was a disaster, it was a disaster, but it gave them a pathway into community. So we believe in that, but also on Wednesday night, if you just think about like what we do on Wednesday nights here, if you knew, you don't know what we do on Wednesday nights, but Wednesday nights we come, we've got the cheapest, best meal that you can find in Kings County. Uh, shout out to our kitchen crew. But then beyond that, after they're done cooking and everybody's done eating, we form into small groups. And, and not just small groups for adults, but we've got uh, a nursery, like baby time for, for babies over there. And the babies can go there. We've got toddlers. We've got every, I mean, everything you could possibly hope for, except we've had this gap of, of our high school students. They were like, yeah, bring your whole family, but leave your high school student at home because we don't have anything for your high school students, actually unless they want to come serve and get pooped on by babies, because that's the majority of being in the nursery, I think. And so Brian and I were talking about this a few months back, and Brian was like, we, we need to get high school on Wednesdays, because they, the high schoolers were coming on Sunday nights. And I don't know if you know this, but our building is an entire acre. And so when you walk in here and there's 30 people, it is cavernous in here. And it is not warm and it is not exciting and they are largely empty and released away from the rest of the body of Christ. Where Wednesday is just like bursting with energy and people and want to talk about Jesus and want to know more about Jesus. And how is your life going? So we thought, okay, let's move high school onto Wednesday nights. The problem is our high school has doubled over the course of the last year, which is great news. It's a great problem to have. And we're like, well, where do we put our high school students then? Like, I don't know. What do high school students care about? Like, well, Brian's like, well, they, they largely care mostly about just being in community with one another. It's like, perfect. Well, let's throw them in a community on Wednesday nights. We've got an old house out there that's mostly storage. So let's put them out in the dirty, musty house over there, and they can be together, right? We thought it was a great plan. Brian was like, well, hold on. Can we, like, do some stuff to the house to make it look a little bit nicer? Is that for the students or for you? He's like, probably for me. It's like, that's fine, <laughs> right? And so largely what we did yesterday is we got a group of guys, and we went out there. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, and we started cleaning up the house. And we have a shell of a space available for our high school students. But because we weren't planning on this, we weren't planning on this massive growth that we've had, and we weren't, I didn't have this conviction of high school students need to be with the rest of the body of Christ, that we, didn't, we, didn't, we also didn't budget for it. So I'm not asking you for money this morning or anything like that, unless that's part of your regular worship, then please worship God through your finances. But that being said is that as you go from here, one way that you could very, 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 in a very practical way, way help our high school students is Brian's got some QR codes right in the lobby. It's a wish list that's on Amazon. You scan the QR code, it takes you to Amazon, buy whatever it is that you want to buy on there to help our students be in community with one another, and it'll come right to the church and it'll be good to go. But that's how deeply we believe in community. 
They were like, okay, we're going to turn an old storage space into a space where high school students can come and be a part of the body of Christ and then go learn about Jesus in such a way that they would better understand it with kids their age. That's how we love people well, is we love each other really, really well also. Amen, church? Let's get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for all of it, Father. And we're humbled by who you are. We're humbled by your son and what he did for us on the cross. And so, God, today, I just pray that your spirit would convict those people in this room who have been trying to do their Christian faith on their own. They've been trying to do Christian faith without loving one another well. So with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you this morning, I would just encourage you to make that decision right now that I am going to be in community. And maybe it's only for the next eight weeks. Maybe it's one of our other small groups. But go this morning and sign up with Jeff out on the patio and get involved in community and loving people well. But Father, I also know there's another group of people who maybe have been just holding out a little bit at acknowledging you as Lord. And so if that's you this morning and you've never made that acknowledgement, that profession of faith, that you are Lord of their lives, I would just ask you to pray along with me and simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I have fallen short, but B, I believe you sent your Son to die on a cross for me, that he took the guilt of my sin. And C, that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life, which includes loving people well and loving our community well. We love you. In your son's name we pray, amen.